many dire predictions that the world was ending. Many Christians calling for um, all sorts of weird prophecies and such right across the world because um, the skies literally went red. Back then, they didn't have mobile phones. They didn't have access to instant news like we do today. What they didn't know was in Indonesia, Krakatoa didn't just erupt, it literally exploded and caused everything to go, well, like that. It would have been uncertain times when you don't know what's going on. Uncertain times when you can't really say, what's happening here? What's going on? I mean, the skies are blood red. Who's ever seen that before? It was freaky times for them. But you know, for us today, it's kind of a similar thing. We might have instant access to everything, but I think that's actually made us worse. Having instant access to all this news has made us maybe more ignorant in the way we are responding to uncertainty. It's a funny thing, because there's one thing that is certain every year. It's Christmas. No matter what happens, December 25th will always come. No matter how long a year, bad a year, tough a year, great a year, doesn't matter, Christmas will come. And I'm not going to argue whether it should be the 25th of December or not. I don't really care. We are acknowledging that day as Jesus' birth. That's all it is. But it's far more than just that. For us Christians, we shouldn't be living in uncertainty. We should be grasping to what we know is certain. And that's why we're reminded every year of Christmas. Every year, no matter what's happened through the year, you come to that day, we're reminded of the certainty of our God. It's fascinating. At the time of Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago, there were equally uncertain things going on. It's hard for us to rationalize or even step into their shoes and, and understand how they felt back then, because how could we ever understand a culture so far removed from us, a history so far removed from us? We think we're unique in the space that we're in. Which is why I usually get quite flustered with people who are quite insistent that we are in the end times. We have been for the last three or thousand years. But today we want to be special. Or you want to think that we're in the worst. It's just as bad to that. But it's actually been bad and tough all this time. And it's no exception at Christmas time 2,000 years ago. In fact, they were going through some major upheavals. And we tend to just ignore it because, hey, you know, we're bad off today. The problem with history is that they'll relegate our lives to a footnote. You know, a hundred years, a thousand years from now, there will just be a paragraph in a book that will say, yes, in the 2020s there was a pandemic. And that's about it. They got over it, they moved on. But they won't understand what we went through, would they? They can't possibly understand because they haven't lived through it. It's the same when it comes to this period of time. Now, in our Bibles, the Bible just ends at a certain point and then it re-picks up 
at another point. The point that it ends is when the Persian Empire pops along and sends the Jews back to Jerusalem and everything's great. But then we open up Matthew and the Romans are there. 300 years have passed. Now for us it's easy, we just keep reading. But for them there was a big change that happened in those 300 years. Uh, it's fascinating, we've got a lot of historical records in that 300 year time. Quite a lot. Because a lot has happened. First, the Persian Empire just took over. They, along with the Medes, they destroyed the Assyrians, they destroyed the Babylonians. They were the big thing, they took over everything. And then anyone who's watched the 300, anyone seen the 300 movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, look, that's not historical. Let me just... <laughs> it's cool and all, but, 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 but history's just a little bit different there. But, you know, here are the Persians coming up against the Greeks and the Athenians, and the 300 of the Spartans stopped them in their tracks or, or you know, caused them to be flustered and all that. And it just, it's just an amazing story, an incredible story. But it is actually so important because it, it actually impacts us today. Because if the Persians defeated the Greeks, a lot of who we are today would be very different. Very, very different. Because coming right after this was this guy named Alexander the Great. He wasn't Athenian, he was a Macedonian. A Macedonian king. And he just conquered the Persian Empire. He conquered everything. The, the Egyptians, he went almost as far as India. It was amazing what this guy did. But when he died, his empire fell apart, broken up into various, uh, amongst his generals, but he succeeded in doing something that changed the world. He made us all Greek. <coughs> so impactful was the Greek word that even modern, uh, uh, modern, the gospel writers wrote in Greek. Jesus would have known the Greek language even though he would have spoken Aramaic. He would have known the Greek language. The Romans couldn't get rid of their gods, so they just took over the Greek gods. They couldn't impose their own gods because everyone was, it was just so much Greek. Kind of like English is today in our world. Everyone has to kind of know English. It's just so dominant. Greek was the same in that part. You just changed the world. And it, it did some other things. In the midst of that, this this city-state called Rome became a republic and a power in the region, and it changed everything. It had an impact on how people lived and what they did, but that didn't just stop anything. Uh, you know, the Romans uh, basically destroyed uh, whatever setup the uh, Alexander the Great and his, and his generals did. He broke that all apart, and for the first time in over 500 years, the Jews could have an independent state. It was an amazing thing that happened. They were finally independent from anyone. They had no one looking over them. But of course, you know what happens when we've got no one looking over us? We end up fighting amongst ourselves. And the Jews ended up in a civil war. And because the civil war was so damaging, one party decided to run to the Romans for help. And the Romans don't really help anyone but themselves. And unfortunately, from that moment on, the Jews lost their independence and the Romans took over. They couldn't handle living together. Fascinating. 
the promises of God were lost, they could only fight with themselves. And the Romans stepped in. And, of course, the Romans at that point were a republic, but then along comes Julius Caesar, a Roman civil war, and I'm going to trip over. <laughs> Our Roman civil war happens. He becomes emperor. Rather than a Roman republic, it becomes a Roman empire. He dies. And Caesar Augustus, his heir apparent, takes over after famous battles with Antony and Queen Cleopatra, who, by the way, was Greek. We always think of Cleopatra ruling Egypt being Egyptian, but no, she was Greek. And the Romans install a king in Judea who happens to be known as the king of the Jews, but he's not Jewish himself. Herod was a Hasmonean. They came from the fruit of Esau, Jacob's older brother, Israel's older brother. And the promise that the younger brother would rule over the older brother flipped. And finally Esau got his wish for his bloodline to rule over the Jews. So you can imagine what was going on for the people during this time. You know, we have, like I said, a lot of writings during this time. If you think we live in uncertain times, these are just the Jewish books about end times that were written in that 300 year period that we have, that we still have fragments of today. Does that not just tell you that, that things were just a little bit dicey for them? A little uncertain. They wrote all these things about end times in that period of time. And that's just amongst the Jews. We have writings from all across the world about, especially the Mediterranean world, about people just becoming fascinated with end times because they really believed the end was going to come. They really believed that the times were ending. There's just too much craziness going on here. And the Jews in particular, they, they initially thought things were going to go great, we're independent, but now the Romans have come. And the great Roman uh, general Pompey, who stormed into the, to the, um, the temple and, and set up the Roman standards in the middle of the Holy of Holies, they thought the end was now going to happen. The Messiah was going to come. And he was going to settle the uncertainty. He was going to make everything right. So that from here on now, we'll be able to live in certainty under the rule of our God. Pretty cool, huh? It didn't happen that way, though, did it? In fact, Luke, opening up the story of Christmas, says this, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Now, one thing we don't have here in New Zealand is when they give us a census, it's a bit of a pain, isn't it? You've got to fill out a form, and you've got to get it in, and that's it, right? In the ancient world, it was far more complicated than that. Riots happened. You know why? What do you think censors were done for? 
taxation. Census and taxes tell the people one thing, who's really ruling here. We don't think much of it today. Uh, we might complain that they're taking too much taxes, or Americans do in particular. But hey, you know, we just deal with it, we move on. In the ancient world, that was not the case, because the taxes didn't benefit them really. It benefited Caesar Augustus. Rome lived in lavish luxury, while the rest of the empire paid. There were a lot of questions that would have come up for the Jews in particular. Questions of who's in charge. Is God truly in charge or is it Julius Caesar or Caesar Augustus? Who's actually in charge? Don't we have the power? Hasn't God promised us this land? Who are these foreigners that are taking from us? Isn't God in charge that so we should step up? Shouldn't we? That's what some of them did. Around census times, there were always rights around census times, there were a lot of deaths. They wouldn't just throw rocks. Some of them would throw their bodies at the Roman soldiers. Who gets crushed in the process? Who ends up paying? Questions that challenged the ancient world. Who and what and when is this all going to change? When is this going to change? And what really should we be doing about this? What do we need to do here? We can't continue living like this. Does this sound familiar, by the way? You, you, you know, I mean, COVID's done a number on all of us, but on Christians in particular. It's fascinating what it's done to us as a faith group of people. Because the ones I see protesting most here in New Zealand seem to be Christians, or people who profess to believe, leaders who call themselves Christians. They're the ones protesting. The issue up in Auckland just now, with the blood transfusion, they showed a photo of the protesters. And, and a couple of the protesters had Bible verses. Wow. But, but they're challenged by these questions. They're challenged by, oh, who's in charge? They're challenged by, I mean, we're getting crushed in this process. You're forcing me to do things I don't want to do. I have my rights. What, what, when's this all going to change? Is this going to go on forever? The uncertainty of COVID was, well, who's worried about another lockdown? Is it really going to stop? We don't know. What's the government going to do next? And what should we be doing about this? These are the same questions Christmas brings up every year as we look at the story of Jesus being born. I imagine Joseph having to carry his unwed wife pregnant to this town that he has left a family that he is no longer a part of having to go back there because this empire wants to tax him more i can't imagine what had been going through his head these questions maybe 
a rough ride when you go on a donkey for that long. A lot of time to think. N.T. Wright has this amazing comment I've used before, I'll use again. But that's the trouble with how we've treated Christmas these many years. We've screened out the emperors, and so we've missed the point of the angels. The Christmas story, like Isaiah's prophecy, isn't about an escape from the real world of politics and economics, of empires and taxes and bloodthirsty wars. It's about God addressing these problems at last from within, coming into our world, his world, and shouldering the burden of authority coming to deal with the problems of evil, of chaos and violence and oppression in all their horrible forms. And only when we look hard at those promises and come to grips with what they really mean are we able to grasp the real comfort and joy that Christmas does truly provide. Otherwise, we're purchasing a, a false private comfort at a deflated cost of allowing the rest of the world to continue in its misery. Isn't that powerful? That's the certainty of Christmas. Matthew starts, he is in a far more subtler way. You know, Luke likes to expound it because he's talking to predominantly a Greek crowd. Matthew doesn't need to. He's talking to a Jewish crowd. And all he writes is this. In the days of Herod the king, Jesus was born. In the past, I've done a sermon just on that. Because that statement alone impacts every Jew because they know exactly what he's talking about when he just says that. For us, it doesn't even flinch. But just imagine a thousand years from now. They open up a book about us in the times of COVID. Hudsonby Baptist Church was doing its thing. <laughs> Whatever. They read on. Or in the times of, I don't know, name a leader, President Trump. Hat City Baptist Church was kind of doing this thing. It don't, won't mean anything to people a thousand years from now. But it means everything to us. We know exactly what people were going through. Because we're going through it ourselves. For the Jews, this was a big deal. Just this one statement. That's all Matthew had to write. You didn't need to expound on that. Because that one statement meant everything. Oh, we, we know exactly what he's talking about. Those days, oh my goodness. Yeah, 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 we remember those. Um, here's a photo. Um, it was just taken in 2012. And um, Alan Escott, he's, he's actually looking towards a town, which is in that right corner there, just here. And that's Bethlehem. That's where he's looking at. I'm in front of him and I'm pointing over to what looks like a volcanic cone. Can you see it? Mm. That's the Herodium. So Herod, the king of the Jews, he had not only his, his throne room in Jerusalem, which is actually behind me, but he also had his private home, which was a palace set on a hill called the Herodium, from which he could see all of what he owned. And this little town of Bethlehem was in the shadow of the great King Herod. It doesn't matter who is in that palace. 
It doesn't matter how big, how tall, how powerful. It doesn't matter what the Romans say. It doesn't matter what anyone says. God still reigns. From the lowest little crib, manger, at the bottom of nothing in Bethlehem, that is the plan of salvation. Oh my goodness, if that doesn't bring us joy, then in the midst of this whole world that felt like it was on fire for these people, in the middle of all of that, Jesus came. How much more is that for us today? Well, how much more do we need to be reminded that in the midst of the power plays of this world, we have the certainty of Jesus. Here's a question I want to ask you. I want to challenge you on. The topic of this morning is peace. And Jesus, when he's born, he's known as the Prince of Peace. I want to ask you, do you equate Christianity today to peace? Are we the peacemakers? I'm really not sure we are. So while we live in the certainty of who Jesus is, we are challenged to bring peace. How? <laughs> That's a whole other sermon. But the challenge I want to throw at your feet is this. Does the world know us when it feels like we're the ones that are carrying the torches and ready to light things up and fair enough we've got all those questions that we ourselves are challenged by just like the Jews were in the first century there's a lot of uncertainty going on there's a lot happening around us that, that causes us to think what's going on God I've been following you how long now it doesn't seem like anything's changing. It feels like it's getting worse. What's going on, God? And every year Christmas comes, and every year we're reminded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, from a worldly point of view, they say January is the best month for you to lose weight. January is the best month for you to go apologize to people. The January is the best month for everything because all of our New Year's resolutions, we try to get them done in that first month. But by February, it's all forgotten. You've put weight back on. You've argued again with a friend or whatever. Whatever you've come up with, it's gone, right? <laughs> and in some ways, it's the same for us as Christians. I think, I think you can be reminded of Christmas. You can come to this point. You get the rest. I can face next year. We get to February, and it feels like it's a long year already. Right? Huh. But we're not called to be the power brokers of this world. We're not called to go out there and light things up. That's not our calling as followers of Christ. Our calling is far different from that. And Friedrich Nietzsche makes this comment, because the basic will for, for the human personality is the will to power. He says every human has this drive to be in power. But we are called to be Christ-like, and that is to give up power. It's counter-human 
personality, apparently. But we're called to be that way. Philippians chapter 2, which we're going to expand on next year at some point. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who by being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I had some people tell me, oh, we can't let them walk over us, Rob. And I usually pop this verse out. Obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Which wasn't a simple beheading as such. You died over a period of days. So it was humiliating on top of everything else. That's what we're called to be. Ray Vanderland makes this wonderful comment in one of his um, expositions on, on the Christmas story. He says, Christians are not called to be the power brokers of this world. The power of evil this world seems so big, so powerful, so overwhelming. What can few, a few, few people do? But we know what we are called to believe. No matter what it looks like out there, no matter how big Hollywood is, no matter how powerful Wall Street is, no matter how evil pornography seems, no matter how undefeatable hunger, racism, AIDS appear, or COVID appear to be, Jesus Christ is king. It's not Herod, it's not the devil, it's not evil, it is God. It is God. Again, another powerful statement. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You know, don't let us worry what this world does. Let us be the bearers of peace and sharing the certainty we have in Jesus Christ. I'll share this every time, and it's going to get boring. You're going to hear me say it a million times. But I still remember the words of a pastor I worked for who was dying, and he looked at me and said, if we only had a five-second glimpse of heaven, how different would our lives be today? We want that certainty. Well, let me give it to you. It's Jesus Christ. And in the season of joy, hope, peace, and love, be reminded that there is joy no matter what's going on. There is hope. Hope for something more than just this. There is peace, peace found in Jesus Christ, and that you are deeply loved. Deeply loved by a God who loves you. So much so that he sent his only son to be born in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. Worshipped by sorcerers, and those shepherds who couldn't even get into the inner courts of the, of the temple. The outcast and the weird. The world will think of us as outcast and weird. That's okay. We have a certain need Jesus Christ. Thank God every year Christmas comes, huh? That break in the year. Because we're reminded that with all the uncertainty around us, there is certainty in Christ. I'm going to ask the music to come up.
Father God, in the season and time, may your peace reign in our lives. This year has been a rough one. There's no doubt about that, eh? We were just looking back on it, Father, and you know, we started with having to go live on, on, on video. We couldn't even meet together. We've gone back into red light and all of that, Lord. And then the war in the Ukraine and, and, and all sorts of things. It just doesn't seem to ever let up. But that, honestly, is the nature of the world, isn't it, Father? The nature of the people who need you. And peace can only be found in, in you. So I pray for us, Lord, as we grapple with the uncertainty of our lives. And that, that we might stop, Lord, and lean on you. Forever a certain, forever a certainty, and that in this season uh, we claim that peace for ourselves and our own hearts, uh, for our own homes, for peace for the people we encounter, that we can share the peace, peace of the certainty that we know what we have in you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Christmas comes every year. Every year we're